this semester, we've really been working our way through a series on relationships of all different kinds. We've talked about friendship at length and the church, employers, singleness. Tonight, we're hitting a big one, talking about dating. And to do so, uh, really, I've got four points that I want to make about dating. Uh, 3.5 points that I want to make about dating. And uh, I'm just going to dive into them uh, to make time for them because we got we to gotta move here. Here's, here's where they are. Four points. Uh, well, three points. Sorry. Three, 3.5. Why we should bother with dating or marriage in the first place. I'm, I know that if you were here last week, that was a big question. Why, do we, why should we date or marry if it's better to be uh, single? Uh, we'll talk about that. What the biblical category for dating is. What's the biblical category for dating? What, what, what is dating according to the Bible? And then lastly, we'll consider how to date as a Christian. It actually has kind of two points, but we'll get there in a moment. Um, all right, so first point, why should we date? Last week, I made the case that it is better to be single that, rather than married, mainly looking at verses 8 and 9 and then uh, 37 through 38 uh, of this chapter. I said that we should not move too quickly to verse 9 uh, that says, you know, if you're burning with passion, then you should get married. Uh, I, I said that, that we shouldn't move too quickly there because we shouldn't justify our sense that, like, we definitely shouldn't be single, right? Uh, I, want us, I want us to sit with the truth that the greater gift in life is singleness, uh, that the, the biblical idea of singleness is actually a greater gift because it secures more devotion to the Lord. Uh, your interests aren't divided. And I stand by that, uh, that that is the greater gift. Uh, but many of you naturally ask the question, why should we date then? Right? Am I, if, if, I sh- if there is a better thing, then shouldn't I just always choose the better thing? Doesn't it make it inherently evil for me not to, to pursue singleness and to pursue marriage? And uh, here's where I hopefully clear that up. Um, where I clear something up. Look with me at verses 8 and 9 again. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. I mentioned this last week, but Paul addresses the unmarried and the widows in verse 8. And that might first seem like it's a, like him saying the same thing twice, but likely it means he's talking about the men and the women in the church who have been widowed because uh, there's no Greek word for widower. Uh, in use at the time of Paul's writing. And there's 12 other times in this passage where he addresses one gender in specific, and he always addresses the opposite gender every other time that he talks about it. So if he's talking about widows, it's likely when he says unmarried, he means uh, the male widows or widowers. Uh, Think about the premise that underlies verse 9 then, right? If you think about verse 9, look at verse 9. Who is they? Right, who is the they that burn with passion? Uh, it would be the unmarried men and women for one another, right? Together, meaning, you know, uh, in layman's terms, it takes two to tango, right? Uh, the way you know you do not have the gift of singleness is not your own desire to be married, and it's not your own burning passion. It's finding that burning passion in one another, right? That there is uh, they... These, this group of unmarried men and women should marry if they are burning with passion, right, uh, for one another, uh, right? If you find that in someone else, if you like someone else and they like you back, guess what? You don't have the gift of singleness anymore. 
Uh, granted that you get married to that person, right? If you get married, you don't have singleness anymore. And you should date somebody. You should pursue marriage if you have passion for each other. Right? That's, that's Paul's caveat. I said not to move too quickly into, into nine. And I mean that uh, to say like, oh, singleness isn't that great. But the truth is that uh, Paul's also very clear about the fact that if you have passion for someone else and they have passion for you, this does not apply anymore, <laughs> right? That, that you should get married. You should seek marriage. Um, we see this principle again in verses 36 through 37. It's not just here, but it's put even more strongly there. Look with me at verses 36 through 37. There were some church members in Corinth. Uh, this is why Paul writes, like it's the first verse he says, you know, uh, concerning the matters you, which you wrote, like the man shouldn't uh, lie with a woman. Uh, there were some church members in Corinth that thought sex was bad uh, and that people should not get married uh, to avoid, you know, the, the carnal aspects of marriage, to, invo- to avoid making too much of the human body. Uh, they were ascetic. They, they did not like to give pleasure to the human body. And Paul writes this whole chapter to say that there's nothing wrong with marriage or sex uh, while maintaining the goodness of singleness, Right. They're saying singleness is bad based on moral reasons. Or sorry, they're saying that sex is bad based on moral reasons, that any sex, even in sex and marriage, is bad just because you're giving in to bodily appetites. And uh, Paul is disagreeing with them, not in premise, but in application, right? He says, yes, it is actually better to be single, to not have sex, but not because it's morally wrong, but because you can devote yourself more fully to the Lord. There's a different reasoning behind why he thinks singleness is better. It's to focus on the Lord. So when he gets down to this engaged couple, which probably reflects a real life situation, it's probably not like a high, he's not just like throwing out hypotheticals. It's probably there's a couple uh, in the church that's engaged and people are pressuring them not to get married because getting married and having sex is bad according to the people in Corinth. Paul fights off the people in Corinth and he says, uh, to take a look at what the man uh, has to do before he breaks it off, right? He gives them some instructions about what a man would have to do to break it off. Uh, four things. Uh, and the first and fourth are repeated. Uh, look with me at, verses, uh, at verse 37. There are four things a man has to do in order to break it off. The first and fourth is this. He must be firmly established or determined in his heart. Now, the heart is the very center, cardia. It's the very center of a human being uh, in the Bible. Uh, that, that engages like your emotions, but also your mind. Um, we tend to think of like the center of ourselves as being our minds because we're like Western Enlightenment thinkers. Uh, so one way to translate this, and some people have, is he must be uh, established in his head. Like he, he has to be sure about this thing. Um, in other words, in his own mind, made up in his own heart, this is what he really wants. There are people in Corinth who are pressuring uh, this couple not to get married. And Paul says, that's not a good reason not to get married. The second thing that Paul says that you have to do, this man has to do in order to not get married, is that he has to not make the decision under necessity or translated differently, under compulsion. Like he shouldn't feel obligated not to get married. Again, that is despite whatever the people wanted in Corinth, he should do whatever he wants. Whatever he wants to do, he should be able to do it. Uh, 
Um, this also means, for the record, that if Paul is making a good case for singleness and he doesn't want to be single, then he also does not even have to listen to Paul because he's not under even Paul's compulsion. That's why Paul says, not the Lord, but I, right? Uh, that you, sh- you can even disregard what I'm saying. I think singleness is great and he's right, <laughs> but if you want to do it, you should do it uh, because you, now, you don't have the gift of singleness anymore, <laughs> You have uh, somebody who wants to get married to you. You want to get married to them. You have passion. They're ipso facto, get married. Last thing, the third, the third thing, because the first and fourth are the same. The ESV translates uh, this word thamalitos as the word desire. Uh, you'll see that um, his desire should be under control, I think is what it says, something like that. Uh, and I would say that that's actually a pretty obscured like English translation, usually the ESV does great, uh, but that desire can, um, it can also be translated as more often translated as a will. The, mel- the lemitas can be translated as the word like will, like um, not as like you will do something, but will as in like uh, what you want to do, like a human will that might leave when you're deceased. Um, what do you want to happen to your possessions? Uh, given the three strong exhortations from Paul, that this man should be made up in his own mind or heart, right? Translating this word as desire, it makes it seem like it's saying that you should control your romantic desires, but he's actually saying, right, that you should be in control of your own will, right? If you could translate the word thelematos, like meaning desire as will, then the truth is he should have his own will, his own ability to make up his own mind, Um. It's the same thing he says in the three other exhortations about having your heart and mind made up. Uh, If it is his own will that they should get married, if that's what he really wants, then uh, no amount of pressure from the Corinthians or Paul's exhortations that singleness is good should stop somebody from getting married who has a desire to do so, right? Uh, and, And finds that desire echoed in another person. It would be wrong for him to stay single just because he thinks it's what he should do. Right, just because he feels com- uh, compelled to do so, uh, just because he feels like it's under he's under a necessity to do that. Um, Paul says he does well, or to translate it differently, he does right to marry. Right, one one way to translate uh, doing well, I think. Um, yeah, here here it is at the end. He will do well. You could also translate he will do right. That it's actually wrong for you to not get married when you want to and somebody else wants to. Um, again, I, I left you in the lurch last week so that you would re- like realize it is better to be single. All of you in this room right now are single, right? And I want to say that that's really good because none of you are married. Um, I'll get to that in a second. But the, the, the beauty of this is that Paul is saying like, when you find another person, uh, you, you do well, you do right to pursue marriage with them. If you have a passion for them, uh, it's the right thing to do. Uh, small point of application about that. Um, uh, since dating is a step toward marriage, uh, this also means that like, if you do well or you do right to pursue marriage with somebody that you like, uh, that you have passion for, it means that guys in the room in particular, if you are too scared to ask a girl out because you're afraid of what she's going to say, right, then I would say you are disobeying what is right what is good, right? Uh, that, that 
he's saying that it is actually good for you to pursue marriage with somebody that you have passion for. And if you can't figure out the other person has passion because you are too scared to ask, then on some level you are doing not well. Even though you're pursuing singleness, right? The greater gift, you might say like, well, really I want to be single. No, no, no. You're, you want to be scared, <laughs> right? And that's not what Paul's calling you to. Uh, Paul would say that it would be good uh, to pursue marriage if you have a passion with somebody else and they share that passion. They, you should, sorry, that's a singleness. You should pursue marriage uh, with that person. Um, yeah. Uh, next question is this, right? How? Okay. Paul makes it sound so easy, doesn't he? He's like, and if you guys uh, like each other, y'all should get married. Um, it, it might, you know, he's got a little bit of like a Nike marriage mentality. Just do it, you know? Just like, you know, uh, sounds like y'all are into each other. You should just get married. Um, and I think for us, we're like, wait a second. You just like, you can't just jump into this thing. Well, uh, what is dating? That, that brings us into like, what is this thing we do in between, uh, you know, being single and single with passion and marriage, right? Like how do we get from one to the next? Well, uh, I'll say, I said this already. The Bible doesn't say a lot about dating. Paul doesn't talk about it here. Uh, biblically, that's because um, people really only fall into one of two categories in the Bible when it comes to romance. You're either unmarried or you're married. Um, and as we determined last week, Paul's intentionally vague about the circumstances of his own singleness in order to make that very point. However one gets to be single, whether it's through birth or divorce or the death of a spouse, you all get the same advice that we heard last week. Singleness is a good gift. And then there's married folks, right? There's single folks and then there's married folks. Uh, and uh, we'll look at those in the next couple of weeks. But um, I, I want to say like some of the reason that the Bible doesn't talk about dating, like the in-between thing is, right, the prevalence of arranged marriage uh, at the time the Bible was written. That's just like dating, taking somebody out for, you know, like a cocktail or like doing a scavenger hunt at the art museum is not really what you did in ancient Palestine. Um, you talked to her father and her father was like, I want two goats and that's how it worked, right? Uh, but the major reason the Bible only deals with those two categories, I'd also say is, is this, it's because those are the only two categories. Those are the only two categories. That's a hard truth. Uh, dating, I would submit to you, is slightly a sham. Like it's, it's a little bit of a made-up concept. Uh, we often treat it as some sort of mini-marriage, but it's really not that. Uh, and what's more, we all know that deep down. I think you actually all know this deep down. Uh, but collectively, as a culture, we've all agreed to ignore it. <laughs> let's, let's pretend that dating is a real relationship status to make ourselves feel a little less secure as we date. And I know some of you guys are like, what? What are you talking about? That's crazy. Uh, I know that I'm dating because my Facebook profile says so. So take that. And we have, we have a Facebook profile picture where I have a significant other in it, and that means that we're dating. Um, well, you know, I might ask you, okay, all right, let's pretend you're dating someone, or maybe you are dating someone. And if I ask you what it means that you're dating, you, you wouldn't say like, oh, we have a profile picture together, right? You wouldn't say that. You're not that, you're not that gullible. So you'd say something like this. Uh, well, we're dating because we go on dates, right? And we like one another and we're committed to one another. And if you're a Christian, you might even say we're committed to, uh, you know, uh, finding out if we want to get married. You might say something like that. And then I might respond, 
that, that actually doesn't seem to indicate anything special about you. Uh, you know, you, uh, about your relationship, can't you go on dates with other people, right? Uh, can't you like other people? That doesn't mean that you guys are in some sort of special relationship. And then you'd say, no, of course not. We would never date other people. We would never like other people. And then I'd say, why not? And then you'd say, because we're committed to each other. Uh, you know, like, let's say this is where you drop the L-bomb on me. You say, we love each other. We love each other, Nick. And I say, oh, you do? Oh, my. I said, man, how, uh, I, let's say I even let that go. I say, okay, all right, you love each other. How, how do you get out of that love? How do you get out of that commitment? What do you have to do uh, in order to do that? And you say, well, we'd have to break up. And then I'd say, so all it takes to act like a single person is decide you want to be single? And then you'd say, well, it's not that easy. And I'd say, isn't it? Right? Uh, that, like, the truth is, deep down, we all know this. In fact, we all know this because we've seen it play out on televisions. I don't know how many of you guys watch The Office, but one of my favorite scenes in The Office of all time, it's, it's, it's really not, I mean, this is top-tier stuff, is when Ryan uh, Kelly is like one of the intern or like one of the women who works in the back of the annex. She starts dating this doctor guy, and it makes Ryan so jealous that now he wants to date this girl Kelly, who's oh, he's always blowing off when she's single, and he's not. But she's finally taken, and he's confessing his love with somebody to Pam and Jim, and he says this: "I'm in love with Kelly Kapoor, and I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow, or the next day, or the day after that." But I do know that right here, right now, all I can think about is spending the rest of my life with her. Again, that could change. <laughs> right? Uh, later on, when he's trying to win her back, he says this. I know that I haven't always treated you. He says this straight to Kelly. I know that I haven't always treated you the way that you, for whatever reason, feel you deserve to be treated. <laughs> but I want to marry you, Kelly Kapoor. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But someday, probably. <laughs> Now, we watch that, you hear that, we all laugh, and we think, gosh, what a tool. Because <laughs> he is one, right? And Because he's violating the thing that we all agree about dating, which is that there's commitment. Uh, I'm so glad, right, we say, I'm so glad real relationships between upstanding people are not like this, right? They don't work like that. But I would just submit to you, that's exactly how they work. That's what makes the scene so funny is that really at the end of the day in dating, we say like, I love you, I love you too. And then we're like, unless I decide that I don't and then I'm done, <laughs> right? You know, nobody says that part out loud, <laughs> but that's really what we mean uh, because we haven't made any vows. There's no commitment actually in life. Uh, even if you move in together, names can come off leases. You haven't promised anything in front of God or people, not even to the state, Right? There's, there is zero promises made, no vows exchanged, and that means there's not really any commitment in dating. The reason we don't acknowledge this is because that makes us super insecure. Because <laughs> we're like, wait, that means that this person could leave me in any moment? And I'm, I'm trying to tell you that whether you realize it or not, that has always been the case <laughs> in dating. That really the truth is that you haven't stopped being single, you're just now single with another person who now you have to tell that if you want to stay single, you have to let them know that, <laughs> right? If you want to date somebody else. Uh, I, for the record, uh, somebody brought this up to me when I was talking to them about this once. They're like, are you saying that there's no such thing as cheating? I am not saying that there's no such thing as cheating. Uh, just to be clear, it's not that there's no commitment. I might over, over say it a little bit. It's not that there's no commitment. 
But I would say that the only real difference between cheating and legitimate dating is giving your significant other a heads up on the front end or the back end of going on a date with somebody else, right? Uh, dating for a Christian that recognizes, you know, the biblical categories of singleness and marriage, it's, it's this then. It's a vehicle to intentionally let someone know that you are pursuing marriage with them, right? It's a way to figure out if the passion I feel is reflected in the passion you feel and if we want to let that passion lead us into marriage. That's what dating is. Uh, that means at any time you can say, never mind, I don't like, I, I don't want to do that. Or you can say, I do want to do that. And the other person can say, oh, tough, you ain't that hot, bye. You know, like they could, I mean, they can. You know, that's just the, the long and short of it. That's the commitment that you have. You have to let the other person know when you want to get out of the vehicle. You can't just like, you know, open the car door and bail out, right? No ghosting. Right? Uh, that doesn't make ghosting or, or cheating okay. What I'm saying is that you are committed to letting the person know that you are not interested in that anymore. That's what dating is. There's no obligations or expectations. It's a vehicle to get from single to single with mutual passion that negates the gift of singleness <laughs> to married. Right. Uh, so if that's what dating is, then the lingering question is, how do we do that as Christians? How do we do that as Christians? What does it mean for two people who are dating to be in the single category, but moving toward the married category? Well, that's really two questions, right? It's, it's really what are we to do in dating as two single Christians? And then it's what are we to do in dating as people trying to get married? Uh, and I think we can actually look at both of them. And it's, we're going to get real practical here uh, for a second. Let's start with what it means to date as two single people. What does it mean when we think about dating through the, through the lens of uh, two people who are not actually at all committed to each other and they're, they're actually single? Uh, I would say this. It means, at the very least, that uh, you should not have sex. Like, the Bible is very clear about this, that, like, uh, that the passion that you feel is meant to be experienced in marriage and that that's where the right home for your, for your sex life is. Uh, why is that? The Bible is not trying to be a killjoy. The Bible is very pro-sex. We love sex. Paul's like, Paul writes a whole letter to Corinth because he heard that they were like, we shouldn't have sex. He's like, I have something to say about that as a single guy. He's like, I would like to say that sex is really good. (laughs) You know, you you should have it a lot. In fact, don't take any time off. If you have to, fine. As a concession, you can pray a little bit and then go back to having sex, right? Like he's very, like we are very, very pro-sex, but... What the Bible says about sex is that it's two people, naked and unashamed, covenanting with one another to care about the other person as vulnerable as they might be and as uh, unsafe as it might feel, that they have security, that you will never leave them. You will, that you, the promise you make physically in that relationship is reflected in a marriage covenant that is physically, uh, is communally binding upon the two people. Right? It's a vision, according to Paul in Ephesians 5, of Christ in the church, of uh, two, two others, two uh, could not be more different uh, organism, organisms, right? Jesus, perfectly holy in the church, his bride, who is wanton and constantly goes after other lovers and struggles all the time. And Jesus makes her beautiful 
and they unite at the end of all things uh, in where heaven becomes earth. Uh, two others, right, uh, become uh, one as the husband self, self-sacrifices. Like that is what marriage is supposed to be. And our bodies make this promise whether our minds intend to do so or not. Like that's what the Bible claims we're created for, is that beauty. Um, I, I, I won't say this again last week but because uh, we talked about last week, but um, I would highly recommend a trip down hookup scene by Casey Musgraves. If you weren't here last week, I think that this, that song pretty much epitomizes like what I'm talking about. That what uh, in that song, Casey Musgraves essentially says that like immediately after she gets done hooking up with a guy, mostly she's thinking about how can I get to the door because he's I'm not actually committed to this guy, and I want to feel something more. Um, and, and that she feels used and he feels used. I think that that's typically what ends up happening. Uh, when we do this, or we convince ourselves that we're committed until we're not, right? We think like, oh, this is so great because he really does love me. Oh, this is so great because she really does approve of me. She cares for me. And then she breaks up with you. He moves out and then you're left holding the bag. And I would, I would spare you that. Um, inevitably, I will say this too, when we're thinking about two single people, uh, inevitably someone will ask, Oh, and by the way, uh, if you're having any questions as I'm talking about this, uh, we are not doing discussion groups tonight. We're going to do we're going to do questions. If you want to text me a question, uh, well, or you can just ask at the end. Um, yeah, most of you have my number. Some of you don't. Sorry if you don't have my number. But I would love to. I'd love to get your like scathing criticisms, uh, and then I can try and manage them. Um, that's what we're going to do in, in place of discussion groups, um, just because this is a little more touch and go. Uh, I was going to say, inevitably, someone will ask, if I don't say it now, I guarantee I get a question like this. Um, how far is too far? <laughs> or if I'm single, okay, so I'm supposed to act like I'm single. How far is too far? How far can I go before I've crossed some sort of line where I've had sex or I'm doing this sexual thing? Um, whenever I, uh, when I was in seminary, I had a seminary professor who told me this story, um, when he was an undergrad at the University of Missouri, he once asked his pastor, they were talking about tithing, and like, which is like uh, giving to your local church. And the guy is talking about you know, giving 10% or whatever. He goes, I, I want to give 10%. I want to give a tithe to the church. And he looks at the pastor and he says, uh, do you think I'm supposed to tithe on the net or the gross? Which means like, should I tithe? Should I give 10%? of my take-home pay or should I give 10% of like what I totally get paid, um, you know, uh, before Uncle Sam takes any, anything out of it? Uh, because like ultimately that's what I'm getting paid and God should have that part. Do you think I should, do you think I should give that to you? And I'll never forget what he told me as, as he's telling the story. He goes, he goes, he looked at me and he said, you should be the kind of person who doesn't ask that question. Right? Uh, and I would say similarly, when we think about like, where's the line, I would say you should be the kind of person who doesn't ask that question, right? Be the kind of person who doesn't ask how far you can get <laughs> before you upset the Lord, <laughs> right? Instead of boundaries and roadblocks and, and how far you can go, I would rather you think about categories like how do I love this person, <laughs> right? You're at least friends when you date, 
right? Which means that the friendship categories we've been talking about this semester earlier, how do you forgive? How do you make, seek someone else's good? How do you help them know the Lord better? How do you care for them? How do you become a neighbor to them, right? Those things are the things you should be asking about and do those things, not what you can't do. Think about what you're supposed to do positively and go pursue that, right? I, I, I just, yeah, don't ask that question. <laughs> it's a bad question. Um, I understand why you ask it, right? I get it. I've been there. Uh, but I, I think that it reflects something in our hearts that's like, how close can I get to getting what I want without marrying this person? Um, which is a really selfish, hard, uh, hearted question. Um, at, the, at its root is what I would say. All right, but what about the other side of this dating puzzle, right? Uh, that, that's, I think that's really, you know, the most practical way about thinking about, like, what does it mean that two single people are what's happening in a dating relationship? What do we do with the fact that as Christians, we're also two people trying to head towards marriage? What does that mean? Well, it means, um, look with me at verse 39. Look with me at verse 39, getting back to the passage here. Uh, Verse 39 says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry to whom she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Um, what that phrase means is that uh, in the Lord is this idea that there's a union with Christ, that uh, the person that she marries be in the Lord, uh, that she be in the Lord and he be in the Lord, meaning he should be a believer, right? She should marry somebody who loves Jesus. Uh, it's not just there. It's not just a one-off. That same kind of refrain is in verse 15. If you'll look there, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Meaning if, uh, if an unbelieving partner wants to leave and you're married, it would be good for you to let them go. You get called into peace that way. In other words, there's only turmoil. There is not peace when you're in a relationship, when you are in a marriage with somebody who is not a Christian. Um, I understand that, like, when I say that out loud, a lot of us are going to hear, like, the the Bible hates non-Christians or thinks that, like, we're better than them or any of that stuff. You'll notice Paul never says anything like that. I'm not saying anything like that. But what I would say is that uh, the reason Paul gives this instruction to let non-Christians go, let them marry each other, let Christians marry Christians, the reason he gives this is, is not out of hate or not out of derision or not out of uh, you know, a feeling of superiority. It's, it's because like the center of your world are different. Right? He's, he's saying the reason you should stay single is actually so that you can, be, you can keep the center of your world, Jesus Christ. And if you feel passion, then you should go get married to the person that you feel passion with. But then you should try as best you can to keep it in the Lord. Y'all should both try to uh, keep Jesus at the center. Reason for that, how does that work itself out logically? I mean, think about decision making. Right? I just talked about like tithing. Like, Think about getting married to a non-Christian. How are y'all going to spend your money? You want to give 10% to the church. You should give more. Um, That's a sermon for another day. Um, But like you want to give money away to, you know, charities or whatever. They don't even believe in the thing that you want to give your money to. 
That's going to be tough. Uh, you know, you, you see a homeless person, you feel obligated because you think it's important for that homeless person to have a meal. They think that's tough. They're there for their own reasons. Like we shouldn't do anything to them. Right? Again, tough. How you guys are going to spend your money is going to be really, there's going to be a tension point there. There's also relational tensions, right? The point of your friendships, right? Like who you guys are going to be friends with, like how you decide how you spend your time together with other people is going to be totally different. What's the point of them? For you, it's to tell them about Jesus and for them to call you deeper into discipleship. For, for your non-Christian spouse, they don't care about that. And rightly so. Of course they shouldn't, right? They don't believe in it. Um, there's nothing like, I'm not trying to say that these are like even wrong things. I'm saying like, that's just the truth, right? Who to pursue. You might want to pursue people who are really like, uh, like not very awesome in the world's eyes. Cause you want to pursue the body of Christ. You want to spend time with people in your church that might be uncool or not funny or lame or whatever, like the other person doesn't want to hang out with. And you want to move towards them because Jesus has moved towards you. Good luck trying to spend time together, right? I'll also say this, it's going to hinder your ministry, right? If, housing, if having a spouse hinders focus on Christ, um, as Paul says here in, in 1 Corinthians 7, right? That's why you should stay single. If, if having a spouse hinders a focus on Christ, how much more so an unbelieving spouse is going to hinder your focus on Christ, your ability to do ministry? Uh, lastly, I'll say this. Uh, you're college kids, so you don't think a lot about this. Um, but what are you going to tell your children? Right? I mean, think about this. Mommy thinks that uh, Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected and that God is at the center of everything. And dad thinks it's a whole bunch of hogwash and you and like you can do whatever you want. Just be try to be a good person. Like one of you is wrong. This kid's going to grow up thinking which one is right all his whole life. Do you really want to bring up a kid like that? Confused. Um, I I would really highly caution uh, relationships uh, with somebody who is a non-believer because it's it only runs uh, into into problems. Um, and Paul's trying to spare people that. I'll say this too: the reason we don't do that, right? Uh, the reason that we date non-Christians, I I would say, is this. Um, you don't think singleness is good, right? You don't think singleness is good and you can't trust the Lord that he's actually going to bring you out of that season, out of that gift. And so you determine in your mind, I can't wait. I'm going to make this happen and you'll date whoever you have to date in order to not be single. And I would say, man, who is your allegiance to? Right at that point, who do you really love? Do you love you or do you love the Lord? I, I think, you know, we have to be able to trust God that singleness really is good to be devoted to him really is good and that we can wait until he brings the right person who will share those big, huge things in life and allow us to pursue him with a whole heart and be pursued by him uh, with a whole heart. Uh, two more things about uh, what it means to be single um, or to, to be headed towards marriage, single people are headed towards marriage. The first one's real brief. Verse 39, you'll notice that it says, she should marry whom she wishes. Whom she wishes. Um, you should be attracted to your partner. I, that, some people are going to go, that goes without saying. I don't think it always does. Sometimes we can make it so spiritual, that we can make this whole thing so spiritual that we're like, 
Nick just said that I need a Christian and that's all I need to do. And I just need to, and, and, and this Christian likes me, this Christian guy, even though he's lame and I, and I don't want to hang out with him. I think he's boring. I'm going to marry him because Nick told me that if he has passion and then I want to get married, that I should just hitch my wagon to him and that's how it should be. And I would just say, you got to wish it, right? You got to want uh, to marry the person that you're going to marry. Uh, I think we do people a real disservice by saying that you can marry any old Christian. Yeah, you, you can in feasibly, but you gotta, you have to want to marry them. Right. I will say, uh, not just like in personality, but even like in appearance, uh, that there should be something about that. That's not everything. I will don't hear what I'm not saying. Cause I know that I, Oh yeah. He said, I can focus on appearance. All the guys are like, yeah. Uh, all the girls are like, those six-pack abs I've been waiting for? Cha-ching, I can keep waiting. No, what I am saying is that, uh, what I am saying is that uh, it is good for you to sexually desire the person you want to marry and that that is a key component, that you should want to do that with the person that you marry, um, that that's part of what, what calls you out of singleness and into marriage. Last thing, uh, there's no perfect spouse out there, right? Um, You'll notice that Paul, the way he talks about this over and over, the reason that he can say like this kind of Nike version of marriage, just like get married, is because I think, and he'll say this later in Ephesians 5, that what we're really talking about is committing yourself to somebody who isn't perfect, right? If we're talking about it's like Christ in the church, if marriage reflects that, then what you're doing is you're marrying a sinner. There's no such thing as marrying like the perfect person. There's also no such thing as the one. That's why he doesn't say, make sure you go through this extended process and find like the person who's the magical one, you know, your glass slipper will fit. They'll kiss you and they'll bring you back to life. They'll give you a rose and it'll never die. I don't, you know what I mean? Like whatever Disney crap that you've listened to, right? I would just say that the Bible doesn't say anything about that. And therefore, like there's no perfect spouse out there. It's about commitment. The reason he can just say get married is because ultimately what you're doing, what you're getting in a gift of marriage is you are committing to another person. And that doesn't mean that it's commitment when it's convenient. It's commitment when it's inconvenient. Um, I'll say by way of application for that. Tinder and like those dating apps are killing y'all in this, in this department. You are only one swipe away from the guy of your dreams. Oh, look, that guy has a fish. Oh, look, that guy also has a fish. Oh, look, that guy also has a fish, but it's bigger than all the other fish, right? Like, I, you know what I mean? I'm waiting for the guy with the, with the shark, you know? Like, I don't know. I think that's what guys think you're thinking. I don't know. I'm guessing uh, by what I've seen on these profiles. It's like, I guess every guy thinks that that's how he's going to get a girl. Um, oh, don't forget, the, this is my niece. She's cuter than the last guy's niece, right? And I'll say it in the comments so you know that it's not my daughter. Um, it's true, right? Because you're better than that guy, right? I... What I'm saying is we play this, we play this game of like how we, it's almost like a return on investment. How good can I get somebody to date uh, with the least amount of problems? And I would say that like you are setting yourself up for failure because that person is not as great as their Tinder bio leads you to think, right? And even if you spend all the time in dating, you're on your best behavior, right? You kind of, for the record, not because you want to be fake, but because like, it's fun. <laughs> Dating is fun. It's supposed to be fun. You're having a good time. The other person's, you know, they look all hot. You look all hot. It's all great. Everybody wins. And the thing is, like, one day you're not going to be anymore. 
right? One day, all the things that are attractive about you are going to fade. And I would just say that like, the thing that gets you married to somebody because you think they're going to be this value add, they're going to be this cute, they're going to be this, you know, interesting or funny. Like what happens when you wake up and that person isn't that anymore? Then they're not worth your time. And I would say you, when you build a relationship, even a dating relationship, moving towards marriage on that premise, that it's about what the other person can give you, you are hamstringing yourself and you're really setting yourself up for, for problems later on. Instead, right, realize that there's no perfect spouse out there. Uh, love the one that you're with. Uh, try to make it work.